And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, we've already had one uh, conference media days down the Big 12 last week. I was with some of our colleagues in Dallas. Uh, I am headed to Indianapolis for Big 10 media days. There's a bunch of stuff going on this week, Stu. SEC uh, kicked off its media days on Monday. I know you were glued to your TV. What did you learn? First of all, can I just say, I don't want to sound like a complainer, but I have enjoyed watching (laughs) it from afar on TV more than I've ever enjoyed attending SEC media days. I think... uh, Can I take a little umbrage at this? Because, not to speak for Andy Staples, but I will... Um, I can remember many times me, you, and Andy would be in that food court on the lower level at the Winfrey and enjoying everybody's company, and you don't miss us? <laughs> I love the camaraderie. I love the people, but like it's funny, that food court is so etched in my brain, and you know, a lot of since there wasn't an SEC Media Days last year, a lot of people that are there have been talking about how much they missed it on Twitter. And that's one of the things that some people said they missed the food. Seth Emerson, our Georgia writer said he missed the food court. I, I don't think of the food court. I don't have like positive association. You, the food court usually meant, first of all, you'd be in a hurry, right? You're in between interviews. You got to get something real fast. And it's not like we're talking about the, the world's greatest food options at the uh, Galleria mall food court. But you know, the most fun part of SEC media days is seeing your friends and colleagues who you haven't seen in a while. And in particular, and if I were there this year, a lot of those people, obviously we haven't seen since um, 2019, but I do not miss sitting in that big ballroom for hours and hours and hours at a time. So the good thing about watching it on TV is, you know, you see the coach, you see, I watched a lot of the coaches on Monday and then you can turn your attention to something else in between, in between appearances. Um, Did you, uh, for old time's sake, did you do a Facebook Live from somewhere where some older <laughs> people were looking at you and you had to stick out your arm as far as you could? And Oh, man. For so many different people who watched that. So many different eras, right? So many different employers that I've been. I guess I've been there on behalf of three different employers. Um, so Ed Ogeron was one of the coaches on Monday. And listening to him, it kind of made me realize how I just have no idea what to expect from LSU this season. I think in the immediate aftermath of that debacle of a season last year, my, my thought was they did kind of get it together at the end, big win at Florida, um, outlasted Ole Miss. We knew they were going to struggle last year at some extent, uh, given they'd lost pretty much their entire team, uh, entire 2019 national title team. And we know there's a lot of talent there. Um, so, you know, you look at this year's team now, it goes from being one of the least experienced to one of the most experienced teams in the sec. Um, okay. Yeah. I I like what I, I think this could be a team that gets back into contention. And then you hear Ogeron talk about how, and, and to his credit, he has not hid from this that, you know, he, he didn't even bother to interview Bo Pelini before hiring him last year. He regrets that. Although he did say he thinks if he had interviewed him, he still would have hired him and it just didn't work out. I feel like, and there was, you know, there was locker room dysfunction. There was a lot going on behind the scenes at LSU last year, and it hasn't stopped this offseason. In fact, he's now a defendant in a Title IX lawsuit. Um, He refused to comment on that Monday. So it just, everything about the LSU program feels very chaotic these days. And because of that, I don't know if I can fully buy in. Is, is the program stable enough to have a really good season? 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll find out. I think the thing is, it's LSU. I feel like it's always had a measure of chaos around it. Even when Les Miles was winning, it there was a measure of chaos. I mean, if you look back to when it was, even the year Ogeron took over, it was chaos. The next year, they lose to Troy. They get blown out by Mississippi State. They struggle with Syracuse. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that... You know, I covered and flipped the script of of just what was a chaotic year that year. And then I even think, remember, in 2018, um, there was a lot of chaos behind the scenes of, a, you know, they had a bunch of a bunch of team meetings before the season, which is which was more than you would normally have. So I don't know, like, I don't know if I would read that much into some of some of that. I mean, the Bo Pelini era, 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 error was as short-lived as it was. To me, that was the thing. Like, obviously, we knew they were going to lose a ton of players. That was the most surprising aspect of it. I'm not I'm not shocked that he didn't have a formal interview with Bo Pelini, to be honest. I mean, Bo Pelini is a protege of Pete Carroll, as is Ogeron. Um, they know a lot of the same people. Bo Pelini is not a first-time defensive coordinator, and he had a you know, he had a lot of success at LSU when he was a defensive coordinator. And so I think the thing that was surprising was how disastrous a season it was on defense, given they have a lot of talent, at least in the secondary, but they never really were able to grasp the system. There was a lot of, uh, it was a lack of communication back there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to ask you, uh, as you, th- as I watch you thumb through a preseason magazine, um, what do you think? What do you expect from them? If I said the over under, if I set the over under on them as eight point five, you know what their schedule is like, I assume, because I think you're looking at it. Um, what are you thinking? I would take the over on that. Uh, I think nine and three is a perfectly attainable thing for them, but of course, that's not really what. I'm not sure LSU fans would be happy with nine and three, especially after he raised the bar in 2019, they want to contend for sec and national championships. And I don't know that I'm ready to go quite back there yet. Do you think that? So he, he has said this, this isn't a new thing, but he, he said it again in Hoover that he wants to try to get back to the kind of offense they were running in 2019 with Joe Burrow. How realistic is that? How, how much of that was scheme and how much of it was having Joe Burrow, who I don't think either of their current quarterback contenders is, is going to replicate. Uh, I think it's, it was a lot of factors. It wasn't just Joe Brady. It was the collection of receivers. I mean, they have one, I think one great receiver right now in Keyshawn Boutte, who, who was arguably all American caliber by the end of last season. Uh, Max Johnson, I think, is one to keep an eye on because he played so well, especially at Florida. Now, obviously, Florida didn't have a great defense last year, but that was a depleted LSU team that went in there and beat the Gators. Um, so I don't think that was an insignificant thing for him to go into a hostile environment and play as well as he did as a true freshman. I, I think what 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 now you'll see both Jake Peets, who's the uh, play caller, and DJ Mangus, who came with him from the Panthers. And by the way, DJ Mangus was really uh, Joe Brady's right hand man when he was uh, assisted in game planning and had a big role in play calling in 2019. But I think so much of it was was Joe Burrow. I mean, he had a year before to acclimate to the team. I think what they wanted to do going empty, I think that fits him really well. He's as close to a coach on the field as any quarterback I've seen in college football uh, since I've covered it in 20-plus years. And whether it's Max Johnson, who's going to be a a true sophomore, or Miles Brennan, who hasn't played that many games, um, I don't think that's as realistic. But we're also talking about what was the most explosive offense in the history of college football i mean to expect it i don't see anybody doing that but if they get to be very good much less i mean that was a that was arguably the greatest offense we've ever seen in college football so i i think that's not a realistic goal i mean i think they can 
I'm not saying they will be a playoff team, but they could be a playoff team without having as great an offense as that was. If they are, I mean, that was a 10 out of 10. I'd say, you know, remember before this run at LSU, typically the offense was like a six. And it was a six because they had elite running backs. It wasn't because their passing game was was that explosive. So I think if you get, you know, back somewhere above that, if you're a seven or an eight, I think they can be really good because I think their defense, you know, they have the best cornerback tandem in the country. They're deep in the secondary. They have a lot of players up front who are talented. I think that's a team that should be much, much improved on defense just if if they're all on the same page now. Yeah, it's crazy to look at, you know, 124th in the country in defense last season. And then you look at the the depth chart and you, you think, how is that possible when you've got Stingley, Eli Ricks, who is also a very highly ranked, uh, regarded cornerback, guys like Glenn F- Logan, Neil Farrell, who've been on that defensive line, Ali Gay. Like, I feel like those guys have been playing on their defensive line forever. I did have a coach tell me recently that, um, you know, I think there was a perception last year when everything shut down and, and these teams that had coaching changes and didn't have uh, spring practice that it made it a lot harder to install a new offense. He says the opposite. It was harder for defenses, new coaches to, in, to install a defense. And it really showed with some teams and for whatever reason, the Bo Pelini thing didn't work out, but I wonder how much of it was. He, he had an inexperienced defense to begin with, and it just turned out to be the wrong year to try to shift your defense from a three, four to a four, three and everything that goes with it. So I don't think this year's um, change will be quite as drastic. And so much of what went wrong last year was just miscommunication guys in out of position, including Stingley, who we know is good. So yeah, they should be a lot better. I'll say this much first game of the season at UCLA. Everybody is intrigued by that, but honestly, LSU should win that game. They should it, it, they should win that game handily. They're much more talented than UCLA. If they don't, if they lose, or if it's um, you know they really struggle in that game, that to me doesn't bode well for their chances in the SEC. It doesn't. But keep in mind this: you talked about how experienced LSU is. UCLA is actually more experienced than than LSU is. This team, considering. They have almost everybody back, and they have a quarterback in Dorian Thompson-Robinson who has now played a ton of football. It's also not going to be their first game because they're going to play Hawaii the week before. I think this sets up pretty well for Chip Kelly's team there um, to pull an upset. So not to hype the game too much on Fox, but um, <laughs> Stu, you should come down and, and uh, go to the Rose Bowl. I know they how can, much you they love can the pull They can pull the upset, but if they do... I think it's going to be, I think that'll be the, the moment when all of the goodwill from the 2019 team officially for Coach O officially, the last vestiges of it wear off and everybody's pissed off at him all over again. Yes, because I, I don't think people look at this UCLA team or even Chip Kelly as this is an Oregon's Chip Kelly who no. you know played less miles, whatever it was, a dozen years ago. I think that game was in Dallas. But this is a you know much different. But look, this that's one of the most compelling matchups of – of that first big weekend of college football. Um, okay, so what else are we focusing in on or this week? Because obviously SEC Media Days is still playing out. Um, I, I'm curious as to I, – I know you were uh, riveted to Greg Sankey's um, speech at the beginning of, mm-hmm. of this to kick it off. Um, our friend Ross Dellinger from SI had a very extensive – kind of advance of it where he was talking about um, kind of the environment right now in the <laughs> around college athletics with the NCAA and Mark Emmert really kind of reeling from from uh, just what has been a disastrous kind of series of events that have fallen that way and now uh, conference big weeks such as Greg Sankey are speaking out Um what did you take away from his comments beyond Ross's story? I would say. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I wrote a column about that and just sort of the, the climate around the NCA, and I, I would encourage people to go to the Athletic and read that, and use theathletic.com/slash/audible the audible to get a discount on your subscription. You know, in terms of 
I thought what was more notable in terms of maybe something more tangible for the season is that he was asked right off the bat, you know, in terms of, I mean, first of all, in his comments, he made a point of, of very uh, bluntly saying that the teams, nor the teams need to get vaccinated. Only six of them, he said, are at the 80% mark. Um, and so he was asked flat out if a team, you know, last year, if, if a team had COVID issues, you, the game would be um, declared a no contest and rescheduled if it could. He made it very clear, like, that's not an option this year. They didn't build extra weeks into the schedule. Games are not going to be rescheduled. So he was asked if a team can't make it, is that team going to have to forfeit? And he didn't go all the way on that, but he strongly hinted that that's ultimately the, the policy that they're going to come up with. And so you tell me, it seems to me, if you need an incentive, if a coach needs an incentive to encourage his players to get vaccinated, going out there and saying like, Hey, if we get too many of these cases, we, we will get a loss, not, not a reschedule, a loss should be a pretty strong motivator. Yeah. And I think that's something you were going to hear. I mean, we heard it um, as we're taping this today on Tuesday from Mac, the Mac commissioner as well forfeit. And I think you will hear that a lot more around the sport. And I, again, this is something that has come up a lot in some of these, in some of these coaches' availabilities now. I think Dabo Sweeney also spoke about it um, as our colleague Grace Rayner had uh, reported. So I think this is just a reality of college athletics in 2021, especially with, you know, where where things are now with the pandemic as much as it feels like we're getting back to normal. I think this is part of our, this will be part of our normal, at least for the, sh- for the, sh- the relative, hopefully short term. Well, you know, I was kind of hoping that the new normal would be that we never have to worry about games getting canceled, but we are seeing like Team USA had a game canceled. So um, I think it's, I don't, I hope people don't, you know, teams don't go into this naively thinking that they're um, incapable of having a disruption like that. Hopefully there'll be a lot fewer, but uh, right now, if you're a betting man, yeah, I do think some games will be affected unless teams get that vaccination rate up to the, I believe the reason 85%, right. keeps getting thrown around is that that's what the NFL is using that once you get to 85%, you don't have to get tested every day. They're not going to contact trace the way they normally would. So the, the more teams that get to that, <clears throat> to get to that threshold, the more this will feel like a completely normal season. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor LinkedIn talent solutions when you are hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role that's why you have to check out linkedin jobs linkedin jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free linkedin isn't just a jobs board linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so I want to get stick in while we're in the SEC. Two, two programs that I don't think either one of us or anybody else is talking about as, as uh, potential playoff teams, but they're both intriguing because they have second-year coaches, and they're second-year coaches with with big profiles and, honestly, big social media followings, and that is Mike Leach's Mississippi State program, which I think for a minute ESPN's like FBI or FPI or whatever that metric they have is, had them as like a top 10 team, and then I think they had to revise it where they're like, wait a minute, this really looks stupid. We need to fix our math. Um, and then there is Lane Kiffin, uh, a little north of him in Oxford in his second year. So those guys will, will always get attention for what they say and how they say it. Um, realistically, do you feel like they will be become nationally relevant? this year not for their for what their teams do on the field and i'm not saying just for they're always relevant in terms of social media presence but for what they do on the field mike leach had some really good teams at washington state um lane kiffin had a couple of good teams at fau but obviously now they're in as one coach had put it when leach got there the deep end of the pool so it's year two give me your feeling on where where these are headed I have more confidence in Ole Miss than I do Mississippi State because, frankly, they were pretty good last year. Um, they took memorably took they went the final record says five and five, uh, but that included taking national champion Alabama to the wire in a 63-48 shootout. Uh, they beat Indiana, uh, who was a top ten Indiana team in the bowl game, and they did it with an absolutely atrocious defense. So. Um, Defense can't be worse. You got to think it's going to get at least a little bit better. And I've been interested in the um, the way. I mean, they've got a lot of weapons on offense, but you know, obviously Matt Corral, the quarterback, is the headliner. And I've been interested in how he. I feel like when those initial, like right after the draft, early mock drafts came out, he was not among the Spencer Rattler, uh, you know, group of quarterbacks who were being mentioned as. And then, but now he is now he's suddenly being mentioned as one of the three or four uh, possibly highest ranked quarterbacks in the draft. I did Ole Miss's state of the program. uh, So I know that team pretty cold at this point. And I know that Lane Kiffin feels that he's a pretty special quarterback and that he has a chance to do, you know, he wants to take advantage of that. You remember he fired the offensive line coach right after spring practice, which raised a lot of eyebrows, but I think he felt like, he can't afford to wait any longer for that offensive line to get better because he doesn't want to waste this opportunity. Are you buying that the defense, which was horrific, is going to get a lot better so they could possibly be? Because you had them, you had them around your top 25 at one point now in your preseason top 25. I think they can get to be like a middle of the pack defense. They're not going to be elite by That any is means. a huge step from where they were. Middle of the pack is... A huge step. I mean, they, they were, were one of the worst in all of FBS. Yeah. They lo- they got some tra- – first of all, Otis Reese transferred from Georgia and got eligible uh, right before the Egg Bowl last year, and they and it had an effect. He was immediately one of the best players on their defense. You know, you see what they did um, in the bowl game against Indiana with him. And then they've got a bunch of other transfers who they expect to – they got some Juco guys on the defensive line. Um, they've got a safety actually from Navy who think they think will start. Um, now they did weirdly Jacquez Jones, who was kind of the, he's a leading tackler the last two years. And he was kind of like the face of the defense. He was mm-hmm. the spokesman a lot in the spring. And then all of a sudden he transferred, he's at Kentucky now. So the transfer portal giveth and the transfer portal taketh away. What, Re- what realistically, they're still going to have to win a lot of shootouts. What should help them is what should, and I say should, and I'm not positive is that they're going to play four non-conference opponents. And so that will figures to help um, kind of light, you know, you should pad some stats certainly against Austin P. I don't know how much you will against Isn't Louisville. Isn't that true of the whole conference though? It is. You know what's an interesting game to me? And I didn't realize that it was happening 
which I'm sure you knew because you did your schedule analysis for State of the Program. Hugh Freeze is coming home to Oxford. I know. How about that? Um, and he's bringing a quarterback. You talked about um, Matt Corral. I mean, Malik Willis is really talented, and he's really dangerous in that system. Um, and that game sits in between a road trip to Auburn and against Texas A&M. So it's not exactly the cupcake you want. But Yeah, I mean, that game is on November 6th, which tells me it was scheduled as the no, you know, the November, they're not FCS, obviously, but, you know, November FCS type sleeper. And it actually could be a great game. Uh, Liberty uh, finished the season in the top 25 last year. So, um, you know, they've got Louisville that Monday night. I think that that's a game that you would favor Ole Miss just because Louisville was pretty bad last year. But I have by no means given up on Scott Satterfield, who I think is a really good coach and what is considerably better. What is good for Lane, I think, is that if you look at the non the uh non 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 conference the crossover games for the east, they play Vandy at home. Vandy is terrible. Uh they play Tennessee. Obviously there's a big game for Lane just because of his history there, but it's not like ten we expect Tennessee to be very good. So, you know, when you're taking two of the weaker teams from the east um that's that's okay right so i think that between lsu a&m and ole miss any of those none of them are gonna well i shouldn't say that i don't think ole miss is gonna win the division but i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah i don't think they are either no Um, i don't think ole miss is gonna win the division but i could see them finishing anywhere from second to fourth in the sec west depending on like we just talked about lsu LSU could be all over the map. They, everybody's very high on AM, but it's not inconceivable that they take a little bit of a step back. So um, now Mississippi State is not a team I consider to be in that tier, but maybe you do. Sell me on the Bulldogs. I can't sell you much um, beyond this. It is Leach's first full you know, offseason there, and I think his system does take some time to rep and develop. And whether it's Will Rogers or Jack Abraham, Jack Abraham was a – really productive quarterback at Southern Miss who transferred there. Um, I think he has two good options. You know, we talked about this a while back, and I I mean, I'm talking like pre-pandemic about how Leach would do in the SEC West. They do have some good parts on defense, um, and he does tend to surprise people. Like usually when people write him off is when he's at his most dangerous. Um I don't know. I'm I'm with you. Like I I wouldn't go as far. I don't see Ole Miss, you know, this year being as good as you you indicate they might be. Um, and I definitely I'm probably more with you on Mississippi State right now. Um, I think they'll be better. I just don't know how much better. And it's in that division, so it's going to be tough sledding. Um, you know, the team that I one of the teams that I'm really intrigued by just before we jump off the SEC is on the other side, and that's Kentucky. You mentioned them in passing where they got, you know, the best player on the Ole Miss defense who was a really productive linebacker. I feel like they've made some really nice additions. We talked about LSU. They got Dare Rosenthal, who's has top 50 draft pick talent as a left tackle. I think he will help. Uh, will Levis, who is at, from, from Penn State, has a ton of arm talent is very athletic and I think he can help them and we're talking about new play callers um and I think Liam Cohen who came from the Rams where he was an offensive assistant I think he has a chance to do some interesting things because they don't have great skill talent but Wondell Robinson and we'll talk about Nebraska in a bit is very dynamic and I think he will help them and I think Mark Stoops, to get to the, you know, kind of hammer home the point, I think Mark Stoops is the most underrated coach in the SEC. And I am uh, I'm curious to see what they do now because I think now people know there's nothing fluky about how they, how they kind of bounced up a couple of years ago. I think this is a really good program, and they've done a really good job developing talent. Yeah, they've, they've no doubt cleaned up uh, with the transfer portal. That could end up – having a big impact on their season. They're also a team that, you know, you mentioned it with Ole Miss. 
you know, because these teams played only SEC teams last year, a lot of them had, you know, disappointing records. And Kentucky was one of those. They went four and six and then beat NC State in the bowl game to finish five and six. Well, now they go back to a typical, more typical Kentucky schedule that includes Louisiana Monroe, Chattanooga, New Mexico State. Good, good job finding that one. And then at Louisville, you could see Kentucky, they don't even have to get drastically better, just get a little bit better and be eight and four, or maybe even nine and three, and everybody's happy again. Could they? Um, like, I think Emory Jones is going to be very good, so I don't want to say could they end up being the second-best team in the East. But I think they could end up yeah. being the second-best team in the East because Florida has a lot of questions. Um, now, Florida has been a thorn in Kentucky's side for, like, 30 years. Um, they've, they've lost some games to them. They shouldn't have, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, it'll probably come down to is Will Levis or whoever wins that job. Like they, they, they've had too many years now of these one dimensional offenses that can't, they, they literally, they barely even try to throw the ball. You know, they, they need a more balanced offense and hopefully having a guy like Wandell Robinson, uh, incentivizes that like they've actually got some guys that can beat you on the outside now all right so while we're talking about Wondell Robinson I think this is a great segue Stu sure is sure is uh, I hadn't even thought about that yeah so I didn't I didn't sell Kentucky to go for this but um I'm excited to go to uh Indianapolis this year it's not in Chicago Big Ten Media Days will be there um so before we kind of dig too deep into the Big Ten the Nebraska Cornhuskers are fascinating for all sorts of reasons, but I'm going to start with this. After we taped the podcast the other day, there was some news out of, uh, out of Lincoln where a, one of your old, and this is fair to say, you, this was somebody you mentored earlier in their... I wouldn't say mentored. Oh, I would. Um, you mentored former Nebraska great Trev Alberts, who was in the news recently. How come you did not have the scoop that he was going to be the new AD? Okay, so my backstory with Trev Alberts is this. My first job uh, in this industry was at CNNSI in Atlanta. For people too young to remember that that existed, <laughs> um, the site that ended up becoming SI.com started out as a joint venture between CNN and Sports Illustrated. And believe it or not, they had a TV network, a 24-hour uh, sports news network, much like ESPN News. Not to give uh, our... Uh, our friend Richard Deitch, some story ideas. Somebody should do the oral history on CNNSI. Not only was Stu Mandel's career launched by CNNSI, wasn't Stephen A. Smith and uh, also? Oh, I there was a bunch. First of all, that was Tom Rinaldi was there. Uh, Laura Oakman was there. But yes, yeah, Stephen A. Smith, original his first foray into he was a Philadelphia Inquirer newspaper writer. His first foray into television was as CNNSI's one of their, I guess, NBA experts. So, I mean, I, I, now I wish we hadn't given this away on the podcast. Somebody else might try to beat Deitch to it, but I agree that would be a fascinating story. Who else was? So who I, else? Who else had the roots in the CNISI tree there? I mean, Tom Rinaldi's a heavyweight name. Between Tom Rinaldi, Stephen A. Smith, and you, that's got to be like fifteen million dollars <laughs> worth of contract. I, to be clear, I was not part of the TV uh, network. So here was here was. I mean, I guess it launched Trev Alberts, right? Here we're yeah. talking. He's now the Nebraska AD. But so he was a, um, you know, he lived in Atlanta. He was the college football analyst for that TV network. And every week, my job as a 22, 23 year old uh, bottom of the food chain guy was to go over and sit down with him. And we would pick two or three topics. And I would basically interview him about it. This is called ghostwriting, right? This is how you, you've done the, a lot of ghostwriting in your, in your years. You interview them and then you turn that into a column that appears to have been written by him. And we did that for, I want to say, two or three seasons. And then he moved on to ESPN. Um, I liked working with Trev. I He was perfectly great with me, but I would say that it was pretty evident then that the man had a pretty big ego. And then he goes to ESPN. And I'm amazed this has not come up in the coverage of uh the hire last week. I've not seen it mentioned at all. Trev Albert's ESPN tenure ended quite dramatically. Um, 
he, you remember this, you were at ESPN. So basically he would be, he and Mark May were, I want to say like the guys who were in studio all day, right? That was they quite a tag team for ESPN at that Yeah, point. really. They weren't on game day, but I want to say they would like throw to them sometimes during game day, but they were still, they were back in Bristol. And um, one day Trev got sick of being second fiddle to game day and just walked off the set and was never seen again. So uh, that was the end of his, well, he made have resurfaced on CBS for a little bit, but the point is his TV days are long past. He became the AD at UNO, Nebraska, Omaha, 12 years ago. And by all accounts, did a fantastic job there. Helped them move up to Division I, made a controversial decision to drop the football program, but that it paid off. Like, you know, it was such a big money loser, and then they were able to move up to D1. He got a hockey arena built. So I saw a lot of snickering when the, when the hire was announced as like, Oh, Nebraska, look at them. You know, we can't get past the 90s. Um, like there was an insinuation there that he was unqualified. I mean, he's a, you know, D1 AD for 12 years. This isn't USC hiring Lynn Swan out of the blue and you like almost pulling over, uh, you know, driving off the road when I told you that. Uh, he's highly qualified to be the AD. The question is, I mean, the single biggest question is, what does this mean for Scott Frost? Because Bill Moose was such an unabashed supporter of Scott Frost. He hired him. He was going to give him the longest leash possible. We have no idea how Trev Alberts is going to react if Scott Frost has another disappointing season. Yeah, I'm curious about that myself just because, look, I feel like we've talked about this before, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it again, <laughs> not, not, not too distant future, but like, so far, uh, I have been very wrong in my prediction of what I thought was going to happen in Nebraska football. Scott Frost is 12 and 20. Um, he has never had, he's never won more than three games in Big Ten play three and six, three and six, three and five. Um, you were probably not quite as effusive in the hire as I was, but I think. No, so. I was pretty darn effusive. Okay. So look. Um, do, are you completely off the bandwagon for Scott Frost? Are you thinking, all right, he's not going to get it. Uh, I think there's two choices here, three choices. Are you completely off the bandwagon? You don't think he's going to get it done. You don't have as lofty of expectations, but you think the hire will get better. Or do you think, okay, it's 2021. This is going to be the year I'm putting my chips down on the table. Now I'm going to be proven right. I don't think I want to get proven right in, in turn because I think I said he would have won a Big Ten title by now. So I don't think I can get proven right okay. like that. Um, it has been surprising. You knew there was going to be a bit of rebuilding involved. I think I, but I would have expected certainly. I mean, the real puzzler is he he was the offensive coordinator of those great Oregon teams, some of those great Oregon teams. He was the head coach of a UCF team that went undefeated and had a great offense. And just has not been able to remotely uh, replicate that in Lincoln. And I do, but I do look back at the, at that season when it was apparent that he was going to be, you know, the, the, the hot candidate that year. Like I, for most of that part thought he would, I assumed he would choose Florida over Nebraska for that reason. Like Florida is full of great athletes, speed, you know, the guys you need to have the kind of Oregon UCF, blur offense it's a lot harder to recruit those guys in nebraska and but you know i underestimated his loyalty to his home state and his alma mater and that's fine but i think he's learning the hard way that it's a lot harder than he thought it would be to get those kind of guys and on top of that compounding that the few guys he has gotten have transferred and i and i think that's where he you really question him because he needed to improve the recruiting to some extent he did, but then for whatever reason, he's not holding on to those guys. And Wandale Robinson obviously is a, the leading example of that. He was his, his biggest name um, playmaker. And now he's gone. Um, Maurice Washington was supposed to be a great running back. He got into uh, off the field issues. Um, Luke McCaffrey was going to be the next thing at quarterback. He's gone. So I don't, I don't, I haven't caught, you know, I, I think if you have some patience, he, he would eventually build this thing up. I just don't know. Like, he can't have another losing season. I don't know how you continue to stand by a guy who four years later has yet to have a winning record. But if he can 
get them to a bowl game, which by the way, they haven't done since 2015 or 2016. Um, then are, then would Trev Alberts be willing to give it another go, especially given he has an absolutely insane buyout. I want to say like a $25 million buyout. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm, you, you, uh, put out a lot of things there that I agree with. I mean, looking at their schedule, you know, it doesn't help that you have Oklahoma in that, in that old rivalry game sitting there in week four, but they should, if I, so we talked a little bit ago about LSU UCLA game. This is a week zero game the week before, um, August 28th, Nebraska at Illinois, Brett Bielema's first game, right? A highlight of week zero. It is, it is the game of week zero, right? Yeah. So that game is sitting there. If you're Nebraska and you lose that road game, here's, you know, Brett Bielema's first game. That would game. be bad news. It would. Now, by the way, um, Illinois has a lot of players back. Like the team that you went to the game, to like I remember it was the game, uh, our bowl game. It was uh, Illinois-Cal. I watched that from the comfort of my home. Okay, well. Well, at least you watched. But anyway, that Illinois team, pretty much everybody was going to be back. Like, it was a pretty, it was a decent team. It's not like Illinois is an atrocious team right now. And I think Bielema, you and I both agree, um, knows what he's doing and is a good fit in the Big Ten. And it's a home game. So, tricky opener. Then they. By the way, Nebraska lost to Illinois last year, 41 to 23. To an Illinois team that fired its coach. So you have at Illinois, then you have Fordham, then you have a good Buffalo team, albeit without Jarrett Patterson and without Lance Leipold. But those are both home games. You got to win both of those games. I want the backstory of how Fordham ended up coming to Nebraska. Do you really? Yeah. Of all the FCS schools you could schedule, why is why is it Fordham? I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe there was some kind of. Uh, Joe Moorhead affinity that they had, or maybe they were trying to please your friend Ralph Russo and get him to come to get him to come to the Midwest. Well, whatever the case, I'm I'm fired up for that September fourth showdown. Um. So, but like I said, it is you got to get out of the gate three and zero if you're talking about what you're talking about. Because if you don't, like I said, you go to Illinois, then you have at Michigan State, and then it just it's not going to be very easy because, by the way, um, the Big Ten West team, this is who they have to play from the other side. They have to go to Michigan State. Okay, that's, you know, if you're going to be a really good team, you should winnable winnable game at you know versus Michigan. Then you have to go to Ohio State. Um, not easy, right? There's no, um, you know, it's, Ohio State's as bad as you can, you know, have to have on your schedule, right? So, and you're finishing after Ohio State at Wisconsin and then against Iowa. Um, that is a rough last three games for Scott Frost. I think the so the two things Nebraska I think has going for it. One, you have a fourth year starting quarterback now in Adrian Martinez. I know he has been he has never quite lived up to what they thought he would do after his first season. Um, he did complete 71 and 71.5% of his passes last year. He also got benched at one point last year. So it's been a mixed bag, but maybe it kind of comes together for one last big season. And then they actually could be pretty good on defense. Uh, the offense still is a, is a huge question mark, but defense cam Taylor Britt's a really good cornerback. Uh, Jojo Doman's a really good linebacker. Uh, there's just a lot of experience across the board there. So if I had to guess, I think Nebraska will, improve and go to a bowl game this year and that should take a little bit of the heat off frost but like i said i mean if it's a four and eight kind of year i don't see how you go on and it's just kind of at that point you got you know i think nebraska fans would be like i mean it's we kind of talk about this sometimes in michigan and harbaugh like if not this guy who this guy if you were to build on paper the profile of the perfect nebraska coach as of three years ago it would have been scott frost so Mike Riley was a disaster. Bo Pelini, I think, is now like getting some revisionist, uh, hey, maybe we shouldn't have taken this guy for granted, but uh, we're still losing four games a year. 
uh, but they were con- they were con- they were consistently good. It was just the off field yeah. issues, and you know if you well, ever... they played in Big Ten title games, but they also had a lot of embarrassing losses. And hey, if you're Nebraska, do you think you should do be able to um, do more than go nine and four every year? Problem is, the guys since him have done even worse. Yeah, I don't know. And also, let's. I mean, there were issues the off. It was the off field. I don't even say it, it was, was on-field. It was on It was on field. It, it was his. It was on field. It wasn't. It was, yeah, yeah. It was his sideline meltdowns and 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 I would say also a secretly leaked um, audio tape of him cursing out his own fan base. So yes, yeah, so if you ever want an entertaining read and you haven't read it yet, go Google Mitch Sherman's uh, opus on that. It's uh, one of the. It's honestly one of the more entertaining things that we've ever put out on the Athletic. I think. Yeah, I agree. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Um, I think we should get to some mailbag questions. Okay, as always, you can send your questions to the Pod at gmail.com. Our first question is from Eddie, who says, Hi, Stu and Bruce. Hope you guys are well Love the pot. I read Kane Mutiny re- relatively recently after Miami was ranked as high as number three in the AP Top 25 a few years ago. Kane Mutiny is how old, Bruce? 16 or so years? Ooh, it is more than that. It is coming up on, it's probably like 18 years old. I still remember reading the, the galley of it. It was the first time I'd ever had access to the galleys of the book. It was fascinating. Um, He says, it seemed for sure Miami was back to being a perennial top five team every year, but have since fallen back to earth. Manny Manny Diaz has recruited well and continues to add some nice talent via the transfer portal. Do you think that Miami is in the best position to challenge Clemson going forward out of all the other ACC teams? But if not, who do you think is best position to do so and why? And he uses UNC and Florida State as the examples. I do think Miami is now in the best position to challenge them. Uh, I think that Manny Diaz has put together a really good staff. I think his Rhett Lashley hire um, was excellent. I think they're much better on that side of the ball than they have been in a long, long time. Uh, You don't get your offensive line fixed overnight, but I think they've taken big steps on that front. I mean, to me, the, the two programs that would be in consideration for that right now because and you and I talked about this like a couple of weeks ago FSU fell so fast and so far you know towards the end of Jimbo and then it just the bottom dropped out in the last year year or two but North Carolina is really good Uh, I still think that Miami has a chance at least to be a consistent top 10 team because of the way they're now recruiting and I think because of the base that Diaz has been very smart about, as Eddie says, about the talent they brought in the transfer portal. You know, it's not just De'Ara King. It's a lot of guys to upgrade the offense. Um, They've had some first-round picks leave, and I feel like it's now they're in position to kind of to keep it going. I don't think they're 
like it, this is you know we talked about this before it's not like it is Miami back question that's going to be a ways before we can really get even to broach that but I think last year they showed some signs and they played Clemson and Clemson outclassed them and they pretty they got blown out of the building I think the question for them in this opener with especially against Alabama is can they be competitive for four quarters it's not just a matter of hey they had to drive and they had a big play and now it's it's 17 to 7 and then next thing you know it's 31 to 10 i think it's like can they be competitive and that doesn't mean it comes down to the last play necessarily it's like can it be you know 38 to 28 or something where it's like you're in the game in the fourth quarter and you have a chance and i think if once they get to that if they can get to that then i think um we can start to talk about where Miami's headed from there. I think Miami is the clear second best team in the going into the season in the ACC. Some people might say UNC. UNC lost a ton um, uh, on offense. Uh, of course, they do still have Sam Howell. But if nothing else, I feel like Miami needs to take advantage of this window in time where, I mean, I know a lot of people got a really bad first impression of Manny Diaz because that first season they were they had some awful losses, including that bowl game to uh, Louisiana. It was Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech, yeah. Yeah, Louisiana Tech. Um, but, you know, Mark Rick kind of left a mess of, of court at the quarterback position. So you have this one more year with De'Ara King, uh, high-level quarterback. I know he's going to be coming off a major injury, but, you know, certainly expected to, to play at a very high level. And, you know, Florida State is not close to being back yet. They may well get there, but they're not there yet. I think UNC is has a chance to be a really good program. They're not quite there yet. Um, like this, this has kind of got to be the year if you're going to threaten Clemson. This this probably needs to be it. So, um, you know, are they the are they the best chance to to dismantle Clemson to take down Clemson? Probably, but that window could close pretty quickly. Uh, next question is an interesting one from Eric Collins in Mesa, Arizona. Gentlemen, if you were new Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov, would you rather see an embattled Arizona State team go undefeated and finally return the Pac-12 playoff, finally return the Pac-12 to the playoff, or see a two-loss Oregon Duck squad on the outside looking in? Please forgive me wanting nice things for my bumbling program. Love your guys' work. Go Suns! Gosh, I hope that Go Suns part is still relevant by the time people listen to this episode. Which so is, you're uh, you're rooting against the Bucks to cl- to close it out tonight? I'd love to just see it get to a Game 7. I don't have a preference of who wins, but it would be really cool to see a Game 7. Um, yeah, I mean, I know, I know why he's asking that. Like, would you want to have the scandal-torn team be the face of your conference, but absolutely they need to get a team in the playoff. Uh, they need to, to end that perception. And so if it's Arizona State, it's Arizona State. Um, it would be weird uh, to have a head coach who's under NCAA scrutiny, but you know what? I feel like that happens in college basketball all the time. Like UConn was, won the national title, and the next year they were they were banned. And uh, way, you know, this is going way back, but Kansas, Larry Brown, like the next year they were, that happens, right? So you just, you get the glory and then you deal with the repercussions later. I think, uh, you know, they just, the, the, the drought of not going to, it's been five, we're going on five years now of not having a Pac-12 team in the playoff. And it has just been so damaging to their brand. They really need it to end, uh, as soon as possible and not, and not wait around for, oh, soon there'll be an expanded playoff and they'll probably have a conference. No, you need it to end now and stop these uh, West great West Coast quarterbacks from constantly just this past week, right? Another Southern Southern Cal quarterback, Malachi Nelson, picking Oklahoma over USC. Like they got, they got to stem it. And, uh, you know, maybe Arizona state wouldn't, you know, obviously I think if you had your druthers as the Pac-12 commissioner, I know you're supposed to be neutral, but probably do more for the conference if USC was that team. Um, but, but any team would be preferable to none. Uh, who do you think, if if not Oregon, uh, rank the teams that you think have the best chance to make the playoff out of the Pac-12? Taking Oregon out of it. Um, I'd probably go Utah next. Really? You would have US, Utah as the number one team outside of Oregon to make the playoff? Well, I've already said, and I think I've said it on here, I think they're my pick to win the South, and that 
this was before the recruiting stuff, but I thought ASU was also ahead of USC. Who who knows? So you go Utah, ASU, USC. Well, now I'll flip it to Utah, USC, because I have questions about like we don't know who you know some are some key players going to have. You know, remember the the season where Miami, like the week of the first game, suddenly Ja'Cory Harris and a bunch of other guys were ineligible. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know yet, but possibly that could happen. So. I mean, look, I mean, have you been paying attention to what Mark Emmert and the NCAA have been saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, leave us alone. We've got enough to deal with. Uh, but that one was offered up to them on a platter. I, I do think that uh, even that enforcement division, which Greg Sankey took some shots at uh, in, in Hoover, can can figure that one out. Um, Stu, this next question is directly for you. It's from Blaine in Virginia. Dear Stu, you've been a recruiting, you've been a recruiting rankings matter and don't put stock in the bowl game guy. You seem to be ignoring these issues to hype ISU and claim Texas has no chance. A stat I like to evaluate teams is their record in one score games. Iowa State went 4-2 and two in them last year, which indicates they had a bit of good fortune and weren't steamrolling teams every week. Blaine is right, and I'm a little surprised he's he's directing this to me when you're the one who said you think they can not just get to the playoff but win a game in the playoff, which I think is going too far. Um, I'm going to actually address this. There's a similar question to this in my written mailbag this week, but, I mean, I'm 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 – nothing but amazed at what Matt Campbell has done there. I think they're a great program now and that they absolutely have a chance to win the big 12 this year. But, but I think, you know, you were really challenging me last week in terms of like, why don't you think Iowa state will be better? They've got so many great players. They're more of, aren't, don't you think they're still kind of frankly a little bit similar to Iowa and what the program he's built there in terms of, you know, Iowa has first round picks. Iowa has a few guys like that. Every year, Iowa State probably has a few of them this year. But no, I feel roster like roster top to bottom up against. I feel like Iowa State right now has a has a unique combination of really good receivers, a really experienced quarterback, big big time running back, and a proven offensive line. I feel like Iowa Iowa at times had great tight ends, experienced quarterback. But they didn't have the the big time running back at that point, or they didn't have the guys outside. I feel like right now Iowa State has that. They have really good receivers, great tight end, great running back, experienced quarterback, very experienced offensive line. I don't remember. It's been a long time, and I don't want to go all the way back to maybe the Brad Banks days of you know whatever it was eighteen years ago or twenty years ago, but. I don't like as, and I have a lot of respect for Kirk Ferentz and what he's done there, but I don't remember that dynamic quite in play um, for another team like this. That's why I think they're different, and why I think you're wrong. Okay, I can I can accept that you're right. Iowa has not had a lot of teams where they where they they click checked off every box, and even when they came close to that, you know, they would go and get they got you know that Brad Banks team got blown out by USC. 2015 team got blown out by Stanford but um you know when you say Iowa State has great receivers let's let's quantify that if they were facing Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State in a playoff game you would not be saying that they're in the same well category. I think they have an all-american tight end they have an all big 12 first team all big 12 wide out and they have an all-american running back they do they definitely have the all-american running back you know, I mean, Brock I think- Purdy is a guy who has had, who is a very experienced quarterback who had earned the nickname Brocktober for those clutch wins. But I was actually kind of surprised recently when I saw where he actually ranks in pass efficiency nationally. It's actually not that great. Um, again, I hate to take this approach because it seems like I'm dumping all over. It does seem like you're dumping on them. But yeah. I will say this to Blaine's question about why I'm hyping them up and giving Texas no chance. I mean, what has Texas done in the last 10 to 12 years to make you think they do have it? It'll happen at some point, but which team do I have more confidence to have like a nationally prominent season this year? Absolutely. Iowa state Sark would have to come in and do some things that frankly haven't been done there in a long time in his first season um, to, to, 
to give Texas that chance. I, I have, I mean, sounds crazy to say it given their national prestige, if you will, but I definitely have more faith in Iowa state than Texas. Yeah. I, I mean, enough said, I agree. All right. So you're heading off to, I almost said Chicago by default. You're heading off to Indy. There's also ACC media days later this week. Next week, I'm going to take the short jaunt down to LA for uh, Pac-12 media days, which should be interesting with the new commissioner, George Klyavkov, making his making his debut. I have a feeling he's going to raise, he's going to make some waves just based on my initial impression of him and I met him in Dallas. And, you know, you, you remember his introductory uh, Zoom call. He seems like somebody who is going to tell it like it is, even if that rocks the establishment a little bit. So um, it'll be interesting to see that. We will. Oh, you're going to be there as well in L.A. because you live there. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. When's the last time we were in the same place in person? Um, I think it was in, at the com- at the NFL Combine. Yep. Um, 2020 NFL Combine slash athletics summit which i think quite fortuitously got in like two weeks before the world shut down i vaguely remember going uh you going to a well-known late night spot in indianapolis with me where you were hanging out with brady quinn you're making that seem much more uh it's true it happened did it not happen no but the way you described (laughs) it you're you're making it sound like a, a more um risque establishment it was a hotel bar it's not um, that place isn't a hotel. Oh no no that's that's what's it called Prime fifty seven yeah. or something. It's yeah, the, yeah, it, I, it was uh, the place that everybody talks about in terms of the NFL Combine. All right, well we'll have to have a nice uh, we'll have a nice big reunion uh, in LA next week, and uh, and and we will. I'm not sure when we'll get we have a chance to record the podcast, but we absolutely should try to do it in person. We'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.